Join me in Genesis chapter 1, please. We are now in the midst of a study through the book of Genesis on Sunday mornings. We are currently considering day one. Day one of creation. Genesis chapter 1, let's read verses 1 through 5. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Amen. We have seen how in verse 1 we are immediately confronted with a decision to make. Will we believe God's Word or will we bow to this world's theories? Will we believe that God created or will we act like God is not powerful to do what Genesis 1 says? What you believe from verse 1 is going to affect how you view the rest of the Bible. In verse 2, we considered how when the earth was created by God, it was first in this embryonic state where it was about to be formed, fashioned, it was about to be filled I believe what we're getting here is a play-by-play account of creation. You might think of this this way, that it was being put on the potter's wheel, and God was about to design uh, and fashion a usable vessel. And I say this because I personally reject the gap theory that says in between verses 1 and 2 there were millions of years that took place All of that is nothing more than an attempt to syncretize an old earth belief with the Bible. But once we understand the role that the flood played, there's really no issue. We'll get to that later on in Genesis. I also reject the idea that there was a cataclysmic event which took place in between verses 1 and 2. There is the belief by many well-meaning folks that God would never create anything without form and void, and therefore something catastrophic must have taken place to this earth to cause it to be without form and void. Um, Those who hold this believe this is when Satan led his rebellion against God. In Isaiah 14, we read how Lucifer said in his heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will be like the Most High. While I've mentioned I disagree with that teaching, I've not really given you scriptural reasons why. And I'm sure this will come up later on in our study in Genesis. But let me give you a quick reference to consider on why I don't think that Satan's rebellion against God would have taken place between verses 1 and 2. First, I can just say from what I just read that he was going to exalt himself above the stars. The stars aren't even created yet. But anyway... um, In Ezekiel chapter 28, there's a prophecy against the king of Tyrus, but it clearly has a reference to Satan. It mentions the anointed cherub that covereth and how he was perfect in in his ways from the day he was created until iniquity was found in him. I just want to read you a portion of that to give you my thinking. Ezekiel 28, 12 through 15 says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, topaz, 
the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was repaired in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. So what we see there in Ezekiel 28 is that Satan was in the garden of Eden for a time while he was still in a perfect state. When he was still perfect in his ways before iniquity was found in him. Therefore, I do not see how there could have been a time before verse 2 where Satan would have led a rebellion against God because according to Ezekiel, it had to be after the Garden of Eden was created. So there you go. I know this is going to be a rough service because the clock on the wall says it's already 1230. So your bodies mentally are like, we're usually out of here by now. I'm hungry. I wish the preacher would shut up and let's go home. But it's only 1130 because we magically changed time. Now, just to be clear, I don't think that everyone who doesn't line up with me on that issue is some sort of heretic. They just haven't realized how right I am yet. I would not make this an issue to divide over is what I'm saying. Well, last week we considered verse 2 and 3, and I made the application of how God brought order out of chaos by turning on the light. I don't believe this would have been a chaotic mess in God's sight because He's the Creator. He knows exactly what was taking place. But to us, in in our minds, if we were to view that earth in, in verse 2 there, it would have seemed chaotic to us. There was darkness upon the face of the deep. And then God spoke light into existence. And the emphasis last week was how we need God's light to straighten out the chaos that we've made of our life as a result of choosing to live in the darkness of sin. Only God can bring order out of chaos. Now that was a very brief summary of what we've covered over the last three weeks. If you missed it, please go back and listen as you're able. For today, I'd like to study verses 3 through 5. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, I mentioned toward the close of last week's message that we would consider what is the light that God spoke into existence here because it is before the sun is created. The sun is not created until day four. Some will suggest that there's an obvious contradiction here in the Bible already. But is it? Notice that when God said, let there be light, He did not say, let there be sunlight. You say, well, that's basic. Is that what we're really paying you for? And so what we find is, God doesn't need sunlight to have light. The problem we have as finite human beings is we want to imagine everything within the laws which govern our universe. Because of this, we wonder how can there be light without the sun? And we wonder how is there even a day one without the sun? In our minds, we believe there must be a sunrise and a sunset in order to have a day, but none of that is taking place here, and yet God is going to declare this the first day. The evening and the morning 
were the first day. And by the way, you don't need the sun to have a day. Did you know that? Just consider the north and south poles of our earth. If you go to the North Pole in our winter, there will be approximately 11 weeks with no sunrise or sunset, and yet the days are marching on. So you don't need a sun to have a day, so that shouldn't be a stumbling block there. What we need to understand is that God exists outside of the universe. He exists outside of time and space. And as a result, God is not bound by the laws of the universe. He created them. Which means our Creator God is above the laws that govern our universe. He's above His creation. Therefore, it shouldn't be that hard to imagine that the one who can speak something into existence from nothing, that he could also speak a light to shine which does not come from the sun. If God can speak all time, space, matter, energy, and a watery earth into existence all from nothing, I think he's more than capable of creating light without the sun. Whoop! Not to mention we figured out how to have light without the sun. Thanks to Brother Chavez, there's a lot of electricians here today. <laughs> Praise God. We flip a switch and light comes on. That light's not coming from the sun. Also, by observing nature, we find that there is light apart from the sun. We can see a lightning strike. Lights up the night sky. It's not the sun shining. There are even animals in plant life which can emit light. There are fireflies, which we know from the movie Bugs Life, light up the circus tents for the bugs. Those who had kids got that. <laughs> Some species of squid produce light. Over 50% of jellyfish produce light. Even in the dark places of the ocean where there's no light at all, there are fish producing light. There's that creepy looking anglerfish. Have you seen this thing? Looks like he could kill you by looking at you. And he's got that little dorsal fin thing that hangs out in front of his face and there's like a light bulb on the end of it. And the, light come, the fish come to the light and he eats the fish. <laughs> Stay away from the light. <laughs> now I want to go home and watch that. Uh, there is the click beetle. The Matizia millipede, I don't know if I'm saying that right. The sea snail, the glowworm, just to name a few. There are over 70 species of fungus known to illuminate, and there are some bacteria which illuminate as well. My point in mentioning all of this is to say the sun is not needed to have light. So what is this light on day one of creation? Whatever the light was, it was at least visible to God because we find Him separating the light from the darkness. It could be that this light may not be visible to our natural carnal eyes as this may be a supernatural light because it is coming from a supernatural God. You can take this for what it's worth, but it's my current opinion that the light God spoke forth is the light of His presence, the light of His glory. The Bible is clear that God Himself is light. As we have seen already in a past message, the beginning of John mirrors the beginning of Genesis Listen to what the Bible says in John 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
Jesus said in John 9, 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Is that to say that wherever Jesus was was the only place the sun was shining? No, of course, Jesus is speaking spiritually. 1 John 1, 5, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Psalm 104, verses 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, Thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty who coverest Thyself with light as with a garment. I believe that God was causing His own goodness to shine upon the face of the earth. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. Now this concept really shouldn't be this hard to grasp for us because the earth here in Genesis begins with light and no sun, while in the revelation at the end, there will be a new earth with light shining without the need of the sun. Revelation 21, 20. And by the way, there's a lot of similarities between Genesis and Revelation. It's amazing. We'll see those as we go. Revelation 21, 23. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Revelation 22, 5. And there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So there's coming a day that there'll be no need for the sun. But there'll still be light. God will be the light. The Lamb will be the light in our eternal day. That's an amazing thought. And I personally believe that's the thought here in Genesis. I don't think it's a coincidence that Genesis begins with let there be light. And all of this is going to end with there not being a need for the sun, but there'll still be light. And so that's my opinion. There you go. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. And God saw the light that it was good. God divided the light from the darkness, and God, God called the light day, and the darkness He called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. So God divides the light from the darkness. This is an extremely important point for us all to get, but we're going to come back to it after I discuss verse 5. And actually what I want to do this morning is I want to work my way backwards from verse 5 back into um, verse 4 here. So at the end of verse 5, we read that the evening and the morning were the first day. So the question arises, are these literal 24-hour days? A lot of people want to know, is, is there some sort of evolutionary process that's taking place? Is there room for that in the Bible? Is, are these 24-hour days, are we to take that literally or is it like sometimes when the word day is used and it can mean something other than a 24-hour day, like the day of trouble, the day of battle, the day of our calamity? Is that really what it means here or is this a 24-hour day? Now, I personally believe the text here is absolutely clear. When the Hebrew word for day is used in conjunction with a designated number, it always indicates a literal 24-hour day which is what we find in our text. We are told that the evening and the morning were the first day. Therefore, this is a literal 24-hour day. Amen. Now, for those who try to bring theistic evolution into Genesis chapter 1, they need to consider the order in which God created things. And by the way, for those who don't know, uh, theistic evolution is the idea that God launched creation... And then he allowed evolution to have its course and he just kind of guided things along. But it's almost like God here created things in the order in which he did just to show how theistic evolution makes no sense. 
If one were to take these creative days and add millions of years in between each, there's a major problem that you have to reconcile. On day three, God created plant life, but it wasn't until day four that God created the sun, which enables plant life to exist. So how did plant life go on and reproduce for millions and maybe even billions of years with there being no sun? And so it's almost like God did it on purpose to say, no, you can't have that thinking. Therefore, all theistic evolutionary theories, they fall apart when we just allow the Word of God to say what it says. We don't have to add to it and try to, well, the scientists said. You know, science has all kinds of theories that have been proven wrong. Don't be concerned with what, when, when science doesn't line up with the Bible. People used to believe the earth was flat. I wish some people would walk off the edge of the earth, but it's just not going to happen. You know what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 6, 20 and 21? He said, avoid oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Now, continuing to move backwards into the beginning of verse 5, we find the first instance of God naming something. God called the light day and the darkness He called night. What you need to know is that when you get to name something, it means you have dominion and authority over what you're naming. For example, God will later say in this chapter that He's going to make man in His image and that man will have dominion over the fish, the fowl, cattle, creeping things, and over all the earth. And then what does God allow Adam to do in chapter 2? He brings the, Adam, the animals before Adam and He names them. It's God's way of saying, I am giving you dominion and authority over this earth. And God here, He's saying, I have dominion and I have authority over what is darkness and what is light. We get to name our children. They may not like the names we give them, amen? From the moment they were conceived, God said, you have dominion and authority over them, you name them. And I'll just go ahead and ruffle some feathers here. This is why I think a wife should take her husband's last name. I think it's the creative process. I think it's that order of creative process. Amen. Well, thank you ladies for backing me up and only a few of the men. Um, So God, in verse 5, is establishing His dominion over the day, over the night. He names them. God has ordained the light to preside over the day. And He has ordained darkness to preside over the night. And so He has authority over both. And this is important to understand because darkness can have no authority over God. Darkness can never overtake God. God is always victorious over darkness. And who do we wrestle spiritually? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers of the darkness of this world. In Christ, we win. Whoop! That's where we all take a lap. Amen. We win. We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the darkness of this world. Now let's close by considering verse 4. And God saw the light that it was good. God divided the light from the darkness. God declares here, light is good. Don't you love the light? 
I can take you back to a time in 1999-ish when I know Adrian was so happy to see the first rays of sunlight coming into the sky. There, it just hit her, amen. So dark that she's like, Lord, just go ahead and take me home. Can the rapture just happen right now? You ever been in darkness you can feel? And then the sun starts to come up. And that which we thought were bears were chipmunks. Amen. The light is good. The light is good because God is good. Psalm 34, 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that putteth his trust in him. Psalm 106, 1, Praise ye the Lord, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And because God is light, therefore all the goodness of God can only be found in his light. All of his blessings, all of his mercies, all of his loving kindness is found in his light. On the first day of creation, God divides the light from the darkness. And from this point forward, there's a theme that runs throughout the Bible symbolically about the difference between light and dark. Why? Because God divided them. By God dividing the light from the darkness, there is now no commonality where the light and the darkness can share the same ground. John 1.5, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. The Greek word for comprehended in John 1.5 means the darkness cannot seize or possess the light. Darkness can never overcome light. But light overcomes darkness. You don't turn on a switch to turn on darkness. Light and darkness cannot get along with each other. We're starting to get spiritual here. They cannot get along with each other. This is important for us both as saved people and maybe some lost people here today. For those of us in Christ, we are called to walk as children of light. The Bible says we are to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. 2 Corinthians 6.14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness. So we have a choice to make in this life. We will either walk in the light or we will walk in darkness. God has pronounced the light good, which tells me the darkness must not be good. John 3, verses 17 through 21, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not, or he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. There is a very definite choice that we all must make in this life. Will we remain in darkness, or will we come to God's light? The problem is fallen man does not love 
the light of God, does not see it as good because deep down, he's evil and he knows it. The problem with remaining in darkness spiritually is that creation begins to reverse, if you will, in our life. Stay with me. God speaks light into existence, and then in the following verses, He continues to create through day six. But just consider what we find over in Exodus when the Pharaoh refused to acknowledge God Almighty. Exodus 5.2 reads, And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And what happened as a result is God brought ten plagues upon Egypt. Creation went into disarray. The plague of blood, frogs, lice, flies, then the death of cattle, horses, donkeys, camels, and oxen by a pestilence, boils, hail mingled with fire, locusts. And do you remember what the ninth plague was? Darkness. The Bible says it was darkness which may be felt and it was called a thick darkness. What happened in the light of Pharaoh's sin is creation went from order to chaos. Creation groans. Spirals out of control. Our our lives become a mess. And I know I preached this idea last week, but let me just say again, when one decides to stay in darkness, their world turns chaotic as creation goes in reverse. What is it that we need then? We need light to come into our world. This happened in God's mercy in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who left the light of glory to come to a sin-darkened world that He would die to bring mankind out of darkness into His marvelous light. And isn't it interesting that when the light of the world was crucified and He took our sins upon Himself on the cross, God turned the lights off over all the land. Creation went backwards as it groaned. Matthew 27, 45 and 46. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Don't miss this order that we find. There was sin being placed upon our Savior. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And as sin was being placed upon Him, the lights went off. There was darkness. There was no light. And as a result, God, He was forsaking Christ. And from the sin and the darkness, there ended up being death. Jesus gave up the ghost when He laid down His life a ransom for many. When we choose to reject God's Christ, when we choose to walk in darkness, our world spirals out of control. And don't tell me it doesn't. Our homes fall apart. We turn to substances, wrong relationships. There's no peace. And it's all because we chose to live in sin. 
darkness begins to engulf us. And we stumble. We fall. And in this darkened state, we are separated from God because God has divided the light from the darkness. They cannot cohabitate the same place. If we live in this darkened state, our world goes into chaos. And if we die in this darkened state, then we will be forever forsaken by God because there is coming a day when God is going to divide the light from the darkness once again. Matthew chapter 25, verses 32 through 34, and in verse 41 say, And before Him, before Jesus, shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And He shall set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Just like on day one of creation, there is another separation day coming. Which side of Jesus will you be on in that day? Will you be on His right hand or will you be found on His left? Will you be with those who have received the free gift of salvation or will you be with those who have rejected Christ's free gift of salvation? When all is said and done, God will separate all of humanity into two camps, darkness and light. Without Christ, the Bible says, they'll be cast into outer darkness. Those of us in Christ, we will go into an eternal day where God and the Lamb are the light thereof. Christ died in our place and He endured the darkness of God's wrath so that you never have to. You can come to God's light and you can be saved and you can have your sins washed away in the blood. You can be moved from darkness into God's light, but the choice is yours. Will you be found in God's darkness? or God's light, or in the darkness or in the light. 1 John 1, verses 6 and 7. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. Listen to me this morning. You may be able to fool people, but you can never fool God. You are presently in this hour, either in the light or you are in the darkness. You will either inherit heaven or you will be cast into the lake of fire. John chapter 12, verses 46 through 48, Jesus said, I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in that last day. Listen, if you're without Christ today, you have heard the gospel message. You are now without excuse before God and the word of God will be your judge. I don't want to accept Christ today. You die today, these words will go into your mind throughout all eternity. The choice is yours. God wants you to come to the light.
Because the light is good. And in the light is where His presence dwells, is where His blessings abide. Won't you come to Him today? John 8, 12, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Listen, to those of you who don't know Christ this morning, you need to be saved. For those of you in Christ, you need to quit playing around with the darkness and get your act together and walk in the light as He is in the light and have fellowship with God. However the Lord may have spoken to you, let's pray.